0: I entitled this morning's sermon, Who Are You Trying to Please? Uh, I would like for this question to sit on your mind for a little while. Who are you trying to please is an important diagnostic question that I think if you answer honestly and then take the appropriate actions, God can use in great ways to reform your life, but also to transform society. If you get on track where your singular focus is to please God, God can do incredible things in and through you. The reality is most of us, however, are people pleasers. That's what we are by default. We seek the approval of others. We seek check marks, you know, the golden sticker as a child that says somebody else thinks that we are doing the right thing. And that's not entirely bad. But when that is our first priority, it becomes a very serious issue. And so we want to address the Sin of people pleasing this morning. That's what I think scripture wants to confront us in. Now, some of you might be here and saying, I'm not a people pleaser because you can identify a group of people that you do not please. <laughs> you, maybe, you maybe know how to rile some uh, people up and you have a group of people that are clearly not pleased with your actions. And so you don't think you're a people pleaser. But you probably still have that default tendency because at, at the root, we all please at least ourselves and look for approval from ourselves. And so this morning, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul deals with this. This is not a new problem that people face. Uh, it's something that the Galatian church faced. It's something that Paul was accused of. And so he has a good word for us there to learn from. Overall, this is the message of Galatians 1, verses 6 to 10. And it is, if you are trying to make your first priority in your life people pleasing, God will not be pleased with you. God will not be pleased with you. When your first priority is to please people, God is not pleased. It may sound a bit counterintuitive because pleasing other people can be kind of virtuous. It seems good to to look out for somebody else. But when you put them as your first priority, you put them in the place of idolatry. God is to be your number one concern. Are you pleasing him? And so if you choose to people please, you will be choosing to destroy your Christian witness, destroy the church you're part of, and quite frankly, destroy any efforts at cultural reform. So Galatians 1, I'm going to skip to verse 10 to start, just to give us a, a little bit of an introduction. And there the Apostle Paul says these words, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man... I would not be a servant of Christ. You trying to please man equals you are not a servant of Christ. It's a clear either or kind of situation. God is not pleased because you have taken his role of authority in your life and given it to somebody else. He is the one that your desires, your affections are supposed to be turned towards. And when you put people pleasing as your first priority, You've taken him out, you've put in someone else in that place. Even good authorities. So God has delegated authority, perhaps in the state, perhaps in pastors or parents. But when you take God out of his role as authority overall and put any one of those authorities in that place, it's dishonoring to God and it actually crushes the person that you put in that place. Because then you are looking to them as God, looking to them as the sole Determiner of whether your life gains approval or not. And that dishonours God, destroys lives, destroys cultures, and is obviously a great sin that we must avoid. Many of us desire to see some reformation in our day. We look around at the world we live in and it's pretty messed up. And many here are very interested in seeing God do a great work. And so we pray, and we pray perhaps for political leaders. And we ask God, hey, if we could just get a good good political leader in place, that would bring reform. We've talked about this before. There's some good to that, obviously, but political leaders are almost by default people pleasers, especially in in a democratic country where that's how they are voted in. They have to appeal to the masses. They have to please people, and people pleasers will not please God, and they will not bring about reformation. So I'm going to suggest this morning the solutions for all those 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 woes in our world, the the issues, is actually a lot closer to home. And it starts in your life, whether you will please God first or please people. Don't underestimate the power God can work in and through one person, one person in this room that is fully surrendered to say, God, I will do whatever you call me to. You're the one I want to please. Interestingly, it wouldn't be the first time in history this letter of Galatians is used in that way the history of Galatians and specifically Galatians 1 is an issue of freedom that was used by the Apostle Paul when God gave him the message to the church to deliver Gentile believers from a false gospel. So God used the Apostle Paul powerfully, he wasn't a people pleaser, to deliver this message and it freed the Gentile Christians from a legalistic gospel, which was a false gospel. But Galatians was also interestingly Very pivotal to the Protestant Reformation. A message again of freedom. It was a message against people pleasing, against people pleasing the the church authority of the day that kind of held the monopoly on God's word. And faithful men and women of God went back to what does God say? What does his word say? What pleases him? And they were willing to speak truth to the powerful influences of their day and God used it. So don't underestimate what you, tied back to God's word, can do for his great glory. We need men and women that are willing to ask, who am I seeking to please? And walk away with the answer, I want to seek to please only Jesus. That's my first and only priority. So how are you going to figure this out? Well, this text in Galatians 1, 6 to 10 is going to help us answer this question. How do I know if people-pleasing is my first priority. You may already be convicted that it is. This is going to show you just how deep this sin runs in our lives. You also want to ask, how do we change it? And so looking at Galatians 1, 6 to 10 will help with that. The church in Galatia was a church planted by the Apostle Paul, and he had to leave the church for a season. And when he came back to it, he had shared the gospel with them. They had seen transformation. They had been They had been come, they had come to Christ, been, uh, forgiven. But when he left, a group known as the Judaizers came in and they came in with an intent to twist and distort and to harm the church. And they were effective. The church got off base. It got off track. And so the apostle Paul writes this letter of Galatians to correct their false doctrine, to correct this issue. The issue at stake is that These Judaizers were teaching a message that if you wanted to become a Christian, you must essentially become a Jew first to become a Christian. So Jewish rites of circumcision, which under the old covenant, God had required of his people. They said, well, under the new covenant too, Gentiles, you must obey this law in order to be a Christian. You must follow the Jewish customs. And the apostle Paul rightly saw through this and he said, wait a second. No way. That is not the truth. The gospel is by grace through faith alone. The law had a place, but the law of circumcision does not apply to Gentile believers. And to require it is to put an extra weight on them, an extra legalistic burden that the gospel does not require. And so it's a false gospel. It's very, very dangerous. So that's why the Apostle Paul writes it. So we want to pick up in verse 6 of chapter 1. And now that you have this background, hopefully it'll make sense to you. Verse six, it says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul writes to them, I'm astonished you're leaving Christ, that you're deserting him. So here's the first question. If you want to discern, is people pleasing an issue in your life? Is it a first priority? Ask this. Do your core convictions change based on who you are around? The people in Galatia had conviction. They had experienced the Holy Spirit at work through the Paul delivering the message of salvation. They had heard the gospel been saved, but Paul steps out. Other people step in and they're swayed. Their convictions change. And we don't necessarily know exactly why. Maybe the Judaizers were really compelling speakers. Maybe they were really confusing speakers and the people were just kind of, oh, I don't know. We don't fully know, but we do know in part that people pleasing must have played a role because they brought a gospel message that was harder. It was filled with legalism. So there's no like natural inclination to that. It must have been that they were, these Judaizers come in and they desire, well, they're, they're smart people. They, they argue well. That sounds right. And so they, they go along. Their core convictions shift and Paul calls them out and says, whoa, you're a, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you. Now that's another interesting point. Paul, when he rebukes them, points them to who they are deserting. They're deserting Jesus, the one who called them. So often Christian leaders make this mistake. When somebody is deserting the faith, they're, they're in doctrinal error or they're acting in hypocrisy, they express their disappointment in them. So as though you're seeking approval from me, or you're seeking approval from a small group leader, that's not the case. So Paul rightly points them beyond himself and says, well, it's not just that you're deserting me and what I told you. You're deserting God, your core convictions. You experience the spirit at work in your life. You came to him through grace. What are you doing now? Applying works, thinking you'll be perfected by works. He goes on later to say, who bewitched you? Like who got into you to teach you this false doctrine? Do your core convictions change based on the smoothness of the speaker? Who you're around? Be very, very careful. That's what had happened to the church in Galatia. They were indeed saved. These people had been saved, they had experienced the grace of God, and they had taken a step backwards in many ways into a legalistic works-based salvation. And this is just a quick truth for us to, to park on for a moment. False gospels come in many shapes and sizes. There's lots of false teaching out there. Some of it is easier to swallow. So that we would call this like easy believism. So a cross with no cost so you can follow Jesus. You can you can place your faith in Jesus today and nothing has to change. It's kind of like fire insurance. Just just place your faith in him. You won't go to hell, but live however you want for the rest of your life. That's what we call easy believism. That's a false gospel. It's not the truth. And it's a easy gospel because you don't have to do anything. You just kind of sign a card that says, Jesus is my Lord and Savior and you're good. False. But there are also false gospels that are incredibly hard. So the ones that say, here's the list of works you must do in order to be good with God. That's also a false gospel. It's by grace through faith you are saved and it will result in a life dedicated of good works to the Lord. But false gospels come in many different shapes and sizes. So here's the the takeaway. Don't be one of those people that just assumes because it's hard that it must be right and because it's easy, it must be wrong or vice versa. That's not a good indicator of what is true and what is false. You need to go back to God's word. So in the case of circumcision, you might be like, oh, that's that's harder. It must be right. Everybody must have to get circumcised to be part of God's covenant community. No, that's not true. God lifted that. His burden is light in that regard. But you might also then go the opposite end and say, well, it's all light. It's grace abounds. It'll cover all your sins. Easy. The easy way is the right way. Uh, No. Jesus very clearly teaches that the way is narrow. The path is broad that leads to destruction. The way is narrow. There's one way, faith in Jesus Christ, and that brings a transformation in your life. So let's be very, very careful to just simply knee-jerk react and say, well, because it's harder, it must be right. Because it's easier, not so much. I know there is many in the church that fall prey to the easy believism gospel, but I have fear I'm kind of concerned about this. There's a move in the church right now towards legalism again, a move towards man-made laws. And it's, it's subtle. And there can be this idea that, well, that's harder. And maybe that's the way the churches, our grandparents were a part of lived. And so that must be the way that must be the way to salvation. And no, you got to go back to what the word of God says. And, Some will think it's too easy and some will think it's too hard. We go back to what the word of God says, not just what we think is easy or hard must be the right way. Be reminded there's one gospel. Do not let yourself be drawn to others no matter how compelling the speaker is, no matter how many of your friends are going along with it. Do not switch your core convictions because of appeasing man or seeking man's approval. The spirit of God through the word of God, praise God for godly teachers that can help to understand the word of God. But again, remember, it's one gospel. Paul also says he's astonished at how quickly it happened. So this is a reminder. It can happen very quickly in your own life. Don't just think, you know what? I understood the clear gospel message of salvation by grace through faith when I got saved. So I'm good. No, because Satan is very tricky tempting. And so along the way, he will tempt you. You began by grace, but now you're perfected by works. So now, now it's all on you. Paul, again, he's like, you started the right way. The gospel is not just for the day of your conversion. It's for every single day of your life. And so beware, you can get off track very, very quickly. Just because you came to Christ the right way does not mean you will automatically live your Christian life like that. So do your convictions change based on who you are around? It's a diagnostic question. Are you a people pleaser? If you are, they probably just sway based on what the majority opinion is. This is going to get harder. It's getting harder and harder for the church in our day to stay strong because more and more Christians are towing the cultural messages. So you'll be asked to raise the flag. You'll be asked to be silent. You'll be asked to stay silent perhaps in the face of the evil of things like abortion. You'll be pressured to keep the Lordship of Christ in these four walls, not extending to every area of life. You'll be pressured not to rock the boat of comfortable Christianity. You'll be tempted not to upset the family, just keep the family happy. You'll be pressured not to discipline sin because that's not people-pleasing. You'll be pressured perhaps back into legalism. There's so many different things that will come at you. I was recently reading a book called In His Steps. It's a classic novel by a guy named Charles Sheldon. And it's kind of like the first what would Jesus do movement. Uh, there was that in the the 80s and 90s, you know, the WWJD bracelets. And I see kind of a resurgence of that. And there's good in that. This novel taking place in the 1890s talks about this congregation this of Christians that committed themselves to asking, what would Jesus do? And then living their lives in line with that. And the first thing they find out is that means you have to have relationship with God and wisdom from his word, asking, how would Jesus live this out? And it's a very simple thing, but it just points us back to, if you want to ask, who are you trying to please? And you want to please God, you need to know what he actually is pleased by. What does his word say? Paul understood this and was so convinced. Check this out in verse eight of Galatians one. He's willing to say this. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul is willing to call out even himself. He says, we presented you, the spirit in power brought the message you believed. If I come back to you now and present another message, let me be accursed. If there's an angel that comes, let him be accursed. I just ask you, think through this for a moment. What would it take to change your core convictions about the gospel? If if a Greek scholar came up and said, you know what? We've been reading Ephesians 2, 8, 9 wrong all these years. I'm a Greek scholar. Let me tell you, it is not great by grace through faith you are saved. You have to put works in there, your works. Without your works, you can't be saved. If a Greek scholar comes up and says that, well, you don't have a Greek scholar in your back pocket. Would you Would you be convinced? What if, what if an angel? So you're, you're sitting at home, you're praying, and all of a sudden the heavens open and an angel descends and tells you, You've got it wrong. I want to direct you in the right way. Like that would be a a fantastical experience. I've never experienced talking to an angel that I'm aware of. Scripture says you could possibly and not even be aware. I don't know about that. But if, if that was to happen, I can bet you a lot of people would be convinced to take that experience, a powerful experience, and change their core beliefs based on that. And the Apostle Paul, he was not not willing to do that. So here's point two from that text. Ask yourself, do you oppose false doctrine and hypocrisy even in influential people? So if somebody influential, if there's a really powerful experience, somebody really intelligent tells you something, would you oppose it? Now, perhaps you wouldn't believe them, but would you oppose them? Have the convictions to stick your neck out and oppose it. Paul was willing to do that. And I want to show you an example. This is a a very, very powerful passage just a little further in Galatians. So you'll want to turn over to Galatians 2, 11 to 14. Should be just over the page. Galatians 2, 11 to 14. Paul is willing to call out influential people because of his convictions about the gospel. Check this out. But when Cephas, that's another name for Peter, And just in case you don't know who Peter is, Peter is like the apostle, like the rock, one of the pillars of the church who walked with Jesus for three years, who, yes, he denied Christ, but then was reinstated, commissioned to go and plant churches. This Peter, okay? When Peter came to Antioch, I, that's Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? What's going on? Peter knew that God had broken down the wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Before, Jews weren't supposed to eat with Gentiles. Now they could. And so he was eating with Gentiles, praise God. But then this crew, the crew, the circumcision crew was coming along and he knew about it. And he feared them. And so in hypocrisy, he steps back. and He's like, well, I'm not going to eat with the Gentiles right now. And the other Jews followed suit, even Barnabas. Paul sees it and says, this is wrong. You are totally undermining the gospel. You're going back. This is not right. And so he's willing to call out Peter, the apostle, for his hypocrisy. Peter was an apostle. Peter was influential. Peter had seen and been commissioned by Christ. And yet Paul was willing to do that. And the question for me and for you is, would you do that? So can you imagine being in the room with Peter and Peter makes a misstep, like a serious misstep of hypocrisy? Would you actually say anything? Or you're like, "Uh, Peter's untouchable. You cannot touch Peter. You do not, you do not oppose Peter. If that is your mindset, you have revealed somebody who has taken the place of God they're untouchable, they're infallible, they can never be wrong. You follow them blindly. That is a serious issue. That's a serious indicator you've got a people-pleasing problem that's got to be dealt with. I know in an age of social media, it's pretty easy to call criticisms on people. So a famous pastor is acting in hypocrisy. I'm sure many people will tweet and be like, I can't believe this guy said that. But would you oppose them to their face? if you're in the same room with them, and it maybe even bring it closer to home. If you're in a small group in our church, our small group leaders, I wanna commend them. This will not, the odds of this happening are so very, very small. But let's say your small group leader is leading a discussion and says, you know, we don't have to believe the virgin birth. It's not that big a deal. It probably actually didn't happen. I hope in your small group, you would oppose your small group leader and say, that is not in keeping with the gospel. Like that is a core doctrine, right? If your spouse is out of line, is acting in hypocrisy, I hope you would call them out. I hope they're not untouchable. I hope they're not, oh, I, I can't. I, this is a little bit vulnerable for me, but even pastors, okay? Let's say I get up and say something that is clearly a doctrinal error. Like, clearly, would you oppose Would you have the conviction, first of all, to know that it's doctrinal error, but would you have the courage to oppose? I'm not infallible. I certainly hope that you don't people please me to the expense of the gospel. Don't do that. So we want to train one another. The gospel is first. The purity of God's gospel is higher than anything. At our church, we teach Unapologetic preaching. And if you come to our essentialist class, here's a little preview. We're going to talk about the unapologetic preaching of God's word and how we want to proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. What that means is this ranks higher than me, right? So God gives pastors authority, but he doesn't give pastors authority to make his word say whatever they want to. We surrender under it. This is not an open... Uh, invitation to criticize your leaders, by the way. You know, to like, now I get to openly oppose and stand up and disrupt a service. I don't like what you're saying. It's not that. Okay. If you're opposing on minutiae details, that would be sin. That's being insubordinate. It's not, not good behavior. And quite frankly, if you're in Christian ministry, you'll have to get used to people opposing you on a lot of non-essential issues. And usually they do it even though they have a big log in their own eye. So, You graciously work through that and don't be thrown off by it. But should we ever have a season or a time when somebody does, they're in clear doctrinal error or hypocrisy, we need the courage to be able to oppose that. The point is this, if there's untouchable people in your life, people that are in a category, you're like, they're infallible. You have a serious problem. Imagine if Paul had said to himself, that's Peter, man. I can't I can't talk to Peter, I can't oppose Peter. what will people think? What would Peter think? He's an apostle, right? can't do that now I want to take a quick moment to just park on this to talk in wisdom about how this would actually flesh out, okay, so let's say a pastor's up here and they talk and they explain something that is doctrinally completely false. they're like it's not by faith' or um it's not by ooh, I better be careful or I'm going to slip into this, right? It's not by grace through faith alone. It's a result of works. You're saved by your works, your works. And they say something that's like, like so completely ludicrous. What I would recommend you do as a congregant is wait just a moment to let your elders step in first. Okay, God has delegated authority. And you don't want to jump in front of your elders to do what elders are supposed to do. But if you are in a situation where there's, it's clear the elders know about it and they're not doing anything. My life group leader knows about it and is not doing anything. The men of the church know about it and aren't doing anything. And it's so clearly opposed to God's word. And I just give you open invitation. Oppose it. Okay, oppose it based on the authority of God's word. Not because you want to be some vigilante, but oppose it. Stand, do not go along with it. Do not be one that is people pleasing. Like, oh, well, everybody else doesn't see this glaring hypocrisy. Point it out for the glory of God and the good of his church. If your convictions change with the crowd, you're a people pleaser. If your convictions will not allow you to oppose the influential, the powerful, or the ones that have the potential to jeopardize your situation, you could be a people pleaser. And one final question from Galatians 1, and this is 10. Ask yourself, just basic, do you want to seek the approval of God or of man? Do you seek God's approval or man's approval? Paul says again, for I am now seeking the for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul is defending his ministry. He's saying, I am not caving to the Gentiles. Yeah, sure. It might be understandable. The Gentiles are like, can we not do circumcision? Not the extra laws. And Paul, they might be tempted to think Paul was like, wow, okay, I'll people please and I'll go along with it. Paul's like, that's not what's happening here. I'm actually protecting the purity of the gospel. I'm not people pleasing. I'm not into that. I'm actually seeking the approval of God on this. And the question I ask myself, and you can ask yourself, is just simply, are you seeking God's approval in your ministry decisions, your life decisions, in every decision of life? Have you asked yourself, what does God think? Who am I trying to please? Am I trying to please the person sitting next to me or am I trying to please him? Is it your burning passion to do the will of God? Paul would go on years later to speak to the church in Ephesus and he would tell them in Ephesians 6 verse 5 to servants he was speaking, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will, as to the Lord and not to man. Here, Paul makes it clear there's so much of life that we're tempted to do it for the pleasure, the, the approval of man. So you go to work, you put in your time, and it's so easy to just be like, well, I'll do it for the the add a boy or the add a girl, like the check mark. I'll do it for the bonus. I'll do it for the affirmation that they offer. God desires us to go one level further and say, No, no, no! Don't do it as people pleasers. Do it for God's glory. That means you'll do it even when nobody's watching. You're going to be consistent. You're going to bring your best, your most, the the excellent work you can do for God's glory. I've been thinking through this in the context of our our classical Christian school that we have here. I'm so thankful that we are offering this to to create a Christian worldview in the students. But it's challenging. I'm teaching an Old Testament class right now. And part of teaching, you have to assign letter grades. So you, you get through the material and they either know the material or they don't. So they get an A, a B, a C based on their level of knowledge. But I don't want them to just seek to get an A to please me or to master the knowledge we're trying to go a little further than that like why are you even studying this material hopefully it's for the honor and glory of god hopefully it's because you're actually doing it as one seeking his approval that radically changes your expectations from education for example many people live to get an a but you can get an a by cheating so you get man's approval you got a good grade but you didn't get god's approval Likewise, many people will think, if I get a C, somehow that's immoral. Somehow that's bad. Well, it depends. There's a whole variety of factors that go into it. You may have not, you may be in a a level that's way higher than what you're able to achieve at the time. But if you bring your best for God's glory, you have nothing to be ashamed about a C. There's so many things that come into this, but just ask the question for yourself. You may not be a student. Why do you do what you do? What does it come back to? So I asked myself, I'm reading a book right now. I'm like, why am I reading the book? Is it so I can say I read the book? <laughs> you might do the Bible through a year and hopefully you don't do the Bible in a year reading just to be able to say at the next small group meeting, I read through my Bible in a year and you win the approvals and nods. Yeah, good job of man. But you totally missed out on, are you doing it for God's approval? Why do you craft lessons, lead small group? Why do you go to work day in and day out? Why do you take care of your children? Why do you write that encouraging note to someone? Hopefully it is to bless people, but hopefully, ultimately, you're seeking God's approval. You're living for what pleases you, Lord, and living to that end. I have to admit, even in preparing a sermon, I gotta think about this. Why am I preparing a sermon? Why am I preaching? Is it to get, yeah, thumbs up, that was good? Or is it to ask God, do you approve of this? Like, is this what you want to say? It's a challenging thing. And there's one simple way that I often find out whether I'm in it for people pleasing or God. And a simple test is just asking, asking myself, did you actually even pray as you're preparing this to ask God if he approves of it? Or was the first thought in your mind, well, what, what will people think? If you have that, just in any area of life, your first thought is what will people think? That's an indication people are taking a bigger role than God is. Obviously, it's hard. We live in a world of instant feedback that largely people change in their lives based on the approval of others. It's a very powerful motivator. There's instant feedback in the form of your likes and shares or laughs or affirmation. And not all of those are bad. Not all of those are bad. Hopefully, we do encourage each other when we see some positive progress in the areas that we should be. But be very careful that you don't fall into the trap of seeking man's approval, not God's. So the question of the sermon, who are you trying to please? Hopefully you've walked away or you will be able to walk away and say, the answer is, I want to serve Jesus. I want to please him. The next question is your homework for the week, which is what does it even take to please him? So what does, what actually pleases God. And so I have a few verses I'm going to give you as homework to read and to look up. If you don't catch these all now, that's fine. You can come up to me after and get them, but you can write these down. Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells you very, very clearly what pleases God. Hebrews eleven six. 6. Some of you may have memorized it. Romans 8 verse 8. Another key text. Romans 12, same book, different chapter, very clear what pleases God. Colossians 3, and then John 15, specifically verse 8, but you could read the whole chapter. This is just like a very scratch-the-surface sampling of what pleases God. You want to know what pleases Him? Check out these passages. This might be good for your small group to read through some of them. And just ask, what, what pleases Him? and ask yourself, who am I trying to please this week? And then what pleases God? And hopefully we can live in light of that for His glory.